Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Today, we have on Andrew Kirka, who was a gold and silver medalist in Pyeongchang in 2018. In 2022 in Beijing, he was nine one hundredths of a second out of first, out of third place off the podium in the downhill, but he did it with a broken shoulder and a broken thumb. We want to get the full story on what happened. Andrew, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. It's great to it's great to have you here. I want to know what happened. So the story that I got was okay, you're warming up maybe in training, maybe not in training, a wind blew you into the fence, you broke your, your arm and your thumb, and you raced anyway. How much yep. of that is true? How, how much of it needs explanation? 100% of that is true. <laughs> that you got, that sounds like the full story. <laughs> All right, podcast done. No, <laughs> no, but uh, that is what happened. You know, I was just trying doing my best to try to keep myself warmed up uh, heading into competition. And it was a pretty windy day. And that was one of the things that I was really worried about. You know, um, I was feeling really, really comfortable in the downhill. And unfortunately, that was one of the few things that could have taken me out of it. Um, now, uh, what happened was there was a training course. It was a Super G training course. And I was running it on my downhill ski. It was... Um, set up on one of the parallel hills and there were some really windy gusts over there but again it was gusty you know so it was like really windy and then it really wasn't and then it was really windy um one of those gusts literally took me right into the fence like as i was skiing the course um i switched edges and was fighting the wind and flat skied right into the edge of the fence i went down right before i hit the fence I committed to, I'm going to go into this fence. Uh, there's nothing I can do. And I went into the fence and I took the B netting right to the under portion of my armpit, which broke the top portion of my humerus um, at what's called my greater tuberosity, which is like the outside. There's kind of like two ball joints that sit at the top of your humerus. And uh, I broke off the outside portion of that kind of at an angle on my shoulder. And then I have an avulsion fracture in my thumb from tearing ligaments. Uh, from what? Tearing the ligaments. Okay. I disconnected the ligaments from my thumb and they took bone with them is what happened. Ooh. Now so, how far away from this fence were you when the wind caught you and blew you into it? Uh, the course was set. I mean, so the course uh, in Beijing is a pretty tight course in general. Um, but I was, uh, I would say a safe distance away. Um, like 30 was, feet, that kind of thing, or? Uh, oh, more than 30 feet. I'd say probably 50 feet, 50 feet or 60 feet away. You know, like what, like a half of a downhill turn, whatever that is. <laughs> You speak in different measurements than the rest of us. A half yeah, a downhill turn. <laughs> uh, when a downhill turns 50 meters, half of that, so 25 meters, so 75 feet. Okay. 
yeah. so 75 feet you got blown 75 feet sideways effectively and you're probably yeah. going 50 60 miles an hour yeah when you're doing this yeah yeah that's exactly what happened and i mean the wind blew so hard that the gates all sat down on the snow like i just got a hard gust that took me and it was gusting like that in the race course as well but it was gusting and i mean that's the so it was like it was really calm and then poof, heavy wind really calm heavy wind i know the olympians were complaining a bit about it as well because i mean when it comes to racing and competing um it doesn't it doesn't really level the playing field it's not like the better racer that's going to win it's whoever got the least amount of wind which is a real bummer like that was a that was a when i found out it was really windy there that was a big letdown for me just to kind of because at that point it's not just how well i ski it's also a roll of the dice to how how good the wind's going to be and that's the price we pay with doing an outdoor sport, especially an action sport, a dangerous sport like alpine skiing. Well, it's just, it was so unpredictable because the thing is that, that for us watching it, we didn't see, we didn't have any indication of it being, of it being windy at all. I mean, you I didn't know. see, usually when you see it windy, it picks up the snow and you see snow flying and you didn't really, you didn't see any of that. You didn't see, like, we didn't really see the gates getting pushed over or anything but it sounds like it was just so unpredictable i mean just sort of uh unstable in terms of yeah. the, the weather yeah it was and it, a lot of it was if you go back and you review the video you can see it coming through the cut like the flats on the bottom you see the gates wobbling there right but again it's coming through the flats on the bottom and so you don't notice it quite as much and then uh, the first the beginning the first few racers you can see it on the, the top portion and you can see it in the, the steeper portion, what we call the toilet bowl coming mm -hmm. down through the middle. You can see it on those gates as well. And um, it was the same way in two of the previous training runs. Uh, okay, so so you got blown like 75 feet into the fence while you're going 50 to 60 miles an hour. Yeah. You get your arm caught in the B net, rips your thumb rips the rips the uh the tuberosity off of your off of your shoulder so when do you decide that you're still gonna run how does this work because you only have two appendages really at this point i mean you're sitting in a monoski you have your two arms so you're down to one yeah well man uh <laughs> i decided i had to before i ever got injured <laughs> what's this so I decided I had to run before I ever got injured. <laughs> I'm uh, to put it to you simply. Um, I mean, I uh, I had to. Um, my career is based off of it. You know, everything that I do, my entire way of life, my business, everything is based off of the income and everything that I make as an athlete. Um, that's the life that I've chosen, and that's what I work hard towards. And, you know, I work really, really hard for one chance every four years to do well. And, uh, I had to try, <laughs> I knew it was broken. I knew it was I've broken bones before. And I was at the top of the race course and, uh, the doctor reviewed me. So here's the thing, like it happened right before my run, like 
it happened right before I ran. So when I got to the bottom, I didn't really have time to get like a full eval from the doctors and everything like that. And that was good because I got a chance to run because of that. But the doctor looks at me and he like moves it around and he's like, okay, well, it's not a horrible break because like I didn't snap my humerus in half. And he was like, okay, well, you can do that. So, uh, and I was like, doc, I gotta go. Like I have to make it to my run. This was literally my last run, like my last training run before the race. And uh, I got down to the bottom and we did a quick eval. He's like, okay, well, you, like you haven't snapped your humerus in half. And I was like, okay, perfect. See you later. <laughs> Hold on. So is this the U.S. doctor? Is this, is this an on-site like race doctor or who's this, this was, doctor? This was an on-site. This was an on-site doctor. An on-site doctor. So you go, okay. You know, he's like, it's not too bad. And you're like, all right, I got to go. And he yeah. let you go. So you knew that it was broken. He knew that it was broken. Did he anybody know else was, know? He didn't know. He didn't know that it was broken. He didn't know the extent to, of the problem. He didn't, he didn't know. I knew it was broken. He didn't know that it was broken. I said, he said, well, like, it's not, you didn't break your humerus in half. And I was like, perfect. I'll see you later. I got to go catch my race. Peace out, Boy Scout. And I went to the top. And uh, the, uh, the ride up the chair was full of a lot of different emotions for me, for sure. Um, because I couldn't move my arm and getting on the chair was excruciating because I had to pick myself up. Um, right. Describe I, for people like how you get on the chair as a monoskier. Uh, as a monoskier, you pick yourself up and put yourself on the chair yeah it's like I mean, a dip kind of thing yeah you throw yourself in the both, air yeah my shoulder's broken so i can't you take both arms and you pick yourself up and you put yourself back on the chair or you reach back and you grab the chair and you pull it underneath you and um it was painful and i got to the top and uh like i said you know so much of my life and my career is based off of how i do at the games and how I compete and uh, I knew that I wasn't going to get any more races in but I decided before I got to the top uh, that I was going to give it my all in this one race and that uh, I didn't really care what happened I had decided that when I got to the top is that just a typical mentality for you you know that your shoulder's broken you know that this is your only shot and pretty much you go okay I don't I don't care what happens. This is yeah. my shot. I'm going for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to, man. I mean, I think that's the mentality of being an alpine ski racer. You're like, you're like, I have to go, I mean, I have to go for it. You know, like you're, you're there to compete and you're there to win. And for me, it's not just competition. It's not just victory, but it's also like, I was there to do my best. I was there. I was there to show myself that I could compete, you know? Um, and there were a lot of memories that were like flushing back to me from like 2014, where I lost my chance to even compete because of an injury. And I didn't want that to get in my way this time because I had so many regrets from 2014 where I got hurt, you know? So hold on the back it up there for a second. So what happened in 2014 that you didn't get a chance to compete? uh i crashed in a training run and broke my back 
So it's not yeah. like you just made this choice that you weren't going to compete. Yeah. That choice no. was kind of made for you. I was told I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah. Um, so this time I mean, you didn't tell anybody. Can I back uh, up one second though, too? <laughs> so you crashed. You crashed into the B netting. And then the thing is, when you crash into the B netting, you get all wrapped in the B netting and everything too. It's not like this is just, oh, you crashed into it and now you leave. Like you have to extricate yourself from that. How did that work? Were you able to do it yourself? Did you, was, was there anybody there to help you? No. To help you so I hit the fencing and I rolled a few times and the bottom of my ski, my ski came off. My ski came off and it got tangled in the B netting. So luckily my ski stayed right there. And, um, when I had finished flipping, I landed on my right shoulder, which I had felt my shoulder break uh, right when it happened. And I wasn't sure whether I had ripped a muscle or what had happened, but um, I was laying on my broken shoulder uh, and I, my, the base of my monoski, the foot was tangled in the V-net. So I couldn't pick myself up. And I laid there for a while before someone came to help me out uh, uh yeah and it was at that when i couldn't when i couldn't pick myself up i was a little bit worried but honestly man uh my thumb hurt more i mean i had ripped the ligaments in my thumb and uh i couldn't move it and like even now my thumb like when i go to grab stuff it like twists like it like rotates because the ligaments are holding it in place so right now it looks like i'm gonna be getting surgery on it if it doesn't heal back we're giving it a little bit to heal back in place if it doesn't okay getting surgery on it but um i laid i was there for probably 10 minutes and uh there wasn't anyone from my country there to like help me put anything on or to help take care of it so there was a few other countries showed up and they didn't really speak English. There was one Italian lady that was trying her best. And then there was a Mandarin lady, a Chinese Mandarin lady. She was one of the doctors. She came in, but I as always already popped into my ski when she showed up and I skied away. I didn't want to talk to her. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. so you go into the net you somehow get out of the net. You get some people who get you out of the net. You get onto your ski. Yeah. You you see this doctor at the bottom. He doesn't know it's broken. He knows you're hurt. You go to the top. It's excruciating pain getting onto the chairlift the whole way up the chairlift ride. Yeah. Are you thinking at all of like, you know, does this sound like it's not a great idea or... I, so um, the chairlift ride up wasn't super painful uh, when I, it was only, it only hurts when I move it, you know, uh, my thumb hurt really bad. I was like, I can get a new one of those. That's not a big deal. I know plenty of people with fake hands. Um, I wasn't super worried about that. <laughs> um, uh, the, the shoulder thing, uh, I just, when I saw the doctor, I wanted to make sure that let's say if I was to go down, that it wouldn't turn into me losing my arm type thing, you know? Wow, uh, that's a serious and, thought to go through your head. Yeah, well, yeah, well, 
that's what went through my head. So I just wanted to make sure that if I did crash in the downhill, that I wasn't going to lose my arm. And I didn't have a lot of time to check it. And so he checked it and he made sure and like he, he put it through a lot of different motions. Like he put it up and like aimed it back and aimed it forward and like had me do some pressure stuff to it. And, um, but there wasn't really a way to check that I had broken the greater tuberosity or to know whether I had broken it. So the, the greater tuberosity is where your rotator cuff and a lot of your other muscles attach on the outer portion of your arm. And so what had happened was when I crashed, those muscles had tensed up. And then when my arm moved in the aggressive fashion that it moved, the tense muscles tore the bone off. Um, so usually what would happen, and this is the way the doctors explained it to me, is usually what would happen is the muscles would rip right there. And so typically, like when he was inspecting me, he would say, okay, you have a ripped rotator cuff, you have a ripped outer muscle, you can get through that in these races type thing, you know? Um, but really what happened was I broke the bone, which is uncommon. Like the break I have is a very uncommon break. Okay, so you broke the bone. So you, you know, he moves your arm around. Basically you go, okay, it, it seems like it's structurally relatively sound. I'm assuming you are doing your best not to show him that there's any pain as he's moving your arm through all these tests. No, you know, most of the tests didn't hurt. I was honest with him. Um, and in all of the evaluation, like I was honest with him. Uh, I wasn't like, oh, it doesn't hurt. I'm going to go. I was like, okay, this hurts less, you know? <laughs> right. Like, yeah, yeah. And so the, the big thing was like, I couldn't move my arm. I couldn't do any external rotation or like pick it up like this or anything like that. And that is sound for like rotator cuff or muscle tear issues. So he thought that like, and he wasn't sure, but you know, and also this dog didn't know me very well. He doesn't know what my pain threshold is. He doesn't know that like I've broken lots of bones before and like that I'm willing to race with broken arms, you know? Uh, but he wanted, he made sure that I wasn't what he would consider like seriously injured to where I would lose an arm or anything like that. And I went back up and I got to the top. And when I got to the top of the course, doc, he told me, he said, when you get to the top, keep moving it, making sure that you're getting that range of motion. So those muscles don't tighten up super bad, you know? And so when we got to the top, we were doing that. And it was when I got to the top and I was with the physical therapist and we were moving through all the different range of motions and um, we were going through all the different mobilities that I could hear the crackling and the popping in there and then I could feel the sensation that it was broken and I thought maybe you know I had disconnected a muscle and I've had AC joint issues before and so I was like maybe I just like maybe you know tore out my AC joint and so like, there's a lot of cartilage moving around or something. I don't know. I was trying to convince myself that it wasn't super serious. It wasn't too bad. Did any of your coaches know that you'd had a crash and no, that you were no, hurt? All of my, no, all of my coaches were on course. Uh, all of the coaches were on course. We didn't have anyone with us. Uh, we just had a physical therapist and a tech at the top. Uh, and I arrived to the top of the course and uh yeah 
the tech was like, you okay, dude? And like saw the tears in my goggles and was like, okay, we're going to get you up there. <laughs> and like helped to push my sit ski to the top. And when I got to the top, physical therapist was there working with me. And she was like, dude, you are a nightmare right now. And I was like, I want to talk about it. And like, we just kept moving through range of motions. And she made sure that I could move through the range of motion that it would take to ski. Uh, no matter how painful it was, they made sure that I was able to move through that range of motion. And I made sure I was able to move through that range of motion. Um, when I got into the course and I had to move through that range of motion every, whatever it is, three seconds or whatever, turning around the gates, um, it made it a lot more difficult, especially on the harder turns. Um, but, uh, I also made sure that I could push out of the gate. You know, I wanted to make sure that like I can push out of the starting gate. Um, because you have to push out of the starting gate into your own power. And, uh, man, I was just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the pain from like my shoulder. It wasn't the pain from my shoulder and it wasn't the pain from my thumb. That was like the reason I was tearing up and the reason I was crying. It was just because I knew I wasn't going to get to compete. And then I knew I wasn't going to get to compete to the fullest of my ability. Like, when I had done the training runs, you know, like I told you, it was, they were so easy for me. Like I, I finished my first training run and I was like, okay, I'm going to be four seconds faster on my next run. And I was four seconds faster on my next run. And I was like, okay, this is perfect. You know what? On race day, I think I can speed that up three more seconds and I know exactly where I need to be. And I was I was so ready. It was so easy for me. And other people were going out and they were crashing. And I was like, man, I didn't have any issues with that turn, you know? And it was just, everything was just going too good. It was really unfortunate. And, you know, so much of my life is based off of, off of my career. Like, that's how I get all my sponsorships. That's all the people that support me. You know, that's how you get support, you know, through the USOPC or your agents help to find you people and everything like that. It's your story and your successes. Well, you know? I mean, this is obviously quite a story too. And so, so it didn't well, seem like it was, it seemed like it was easy for you. You'd also been, cause you hadn't done downhill for two years really in the interim, right? With COVID and coming out of world yeah. championships, I remember you saying, that you feel like it's a good start having left and won the super G in the super combined that, that you're going in the right direction then. And so were you feel like, feeling like you were really peaking by the time you got to Beijing, you were confident. And oh man, I was super confident. Everything was going smoothly. And, you know, I didn't think I was going to be as confident as I was because just prior to going to the games, I had crashed in the training run and I got that serious concussion and I broke my nose, you know, I had an inch long fracture going into my cheek from where I broke my nose. Cause I crashed again. That was just another freak accident. I just, I couldn't win going into this games. Like I just wasn't destined for it, I guess, but you know, a broken, broken nose, serious concussion. And I was so worried about it when I got there, I was like, man, I haven't been on snow. I'm so uncomfortable. Like, am I going to be ready? And then I got there and the conditions were just perfect for me. And I had everything set up and it was just, 
everything felt so much better than I thought it was going to. And all of my major competition, they were having a hard time. And I was like, oh man, this is great, you know? And, and then the wind got me. So then you, you're working it through range of motion, doing all this stuff. The tech helps push you into the start. And then that start, like that's serious, right? I mean, that's like the 68% uh, grade that they're talking about out of the start, right? Where you're, you're going fast and, and all that. But I mean, it's where, it's where you, you don't sort of ease into this course. You're, you're up to speed quickly and mentally you have to be ready to do it. How did that work going through the starting gate? Oh, pushing out of the starting gate was fine, man. Uh, steeps don't worry me at all. I get up to speed quick and I'm right where I want to be. That's just my technique. You know, there were, there were only two racers that uh, cleaned the top portion clean. Uh, well, two Sitski racers that clean, skied the top portion clean. That was Jeroen, Kampscher of the Netherlands. He arced the first two gates and me. I arced the first two gates. That's why I was a second ahead at the first split. Right. You know? And then, uh, you know, I, that first portion went super well. And then um, it was when I tried tucking on the top flats. I tried tucking on the top flats and my picking ski your swam, arm up. Yeah. And, yeah. And my ski swam a little bit. And I couldn't hold myself steady with my right arm. That I started, that was when I started like being like, oh man, like, I got to be careful. And that was when I started kind of, I took a, a little bit of an, I wouldn't say the slow line, but I took the safer line on the top portion, which usually, man, like I'm, my thing is like, I tuck the an entire downhill for like you saw it in Pyeongchang. Like I tuck the whole thing, like chest on my knees, whole way down. That's how I win by so much when I win downhills, I tuck. And I just couldn't tuck how I wanted to. And I just couldn't hold myself steady in a tuck like I wanted to. And so I was forced to take that safer line. And then there was a really technical turn. And you couldn't see it on camera. There was a technical turn right before the pitch coming into the toilet bowl, which was the, the steeper part. And it was right before that pitch coming into the toilet bowl. I messed up that turn because I just couldn't turn quick enough because I couldn't get my arm out, like I can't get my, I couldn't get my arm out to drive the ski. And so it just got me in the dust and I was just slow, you know? And then the rest of it was fine. I had a headwind coming through the cut as well. Like I just got so unlucky in so many spots. When you I mean, finished. I finished, yeah, I finished and the media tried talking to me and I told him to get away from me and I went down to the doctor to go get an x-ray. That was pretty much it. But did you think that you had a chance when you finished or where did you, how did you feel about your run? I didn't look at the score. You didn't look at the board or anything? I never do, no. I, I didn't look at the board. You know, and I say it before, uh, but I really do live by it. I don't race to win. I race to compete and I race to do my best. I did my best with a broken arm and a broken thumb. You know, uh, from the top to the bottom, I gave it my all. It was painful. 
you can see it in all the photos that were taken of me on the course. And I was crying from top to bottom. Uh, my shoulder was cracking every time I moved it. Um, I couldn't grab my out. I was grabbing my outrigger with these four fingers because uh, my thumb wasn't working. Um, and when I pushed out of that start, I did my best. And I, there's, I have no regrets. There's nothing left behind. Um, and, you know, I, I represented myself, you know, my sponsors, the people that stood behind me, they know what to expect of me. You know, uh, pretty much all my friends, they're proud of me for going harder than anyone of my competition would have, you know? And um, for me, I think that stands out as well. You know, when I, I, can, I can face any of my competitors, any of the people that beat me, and I can say, you know, man, I would have had you, you know? And, but I don't even need to. I don't even need to say that because they know it. Because I raced with a broken arm and a broken thumb and I almost podiumed, you know? They know it. I don't, I don't need to say it out loud. And that's, that's all I need, you know? I need the, the honor of saying I gave it my all. That's, that's what it's about. You know, sport is, it's here to bring us together. That's why it was started. That's why the Olympics, the Paralympics, it's here to inspire people and to bring people together from other countries, from all over the world. You know, I want people to see me as an athlete and to see the person who I was that worked to get to where I am. You know, the position that I was in was an honorable position. You know, I'm a, I grew up in a, a trailer home in Alaska. You know, I am not a, a, a gifted individual. I'm an individual that worked hard to get there. And uh, I, I, I just want, I want that to shine through with what I do as an athlete. And nothing better than showing that I'm not willing to give up even in the face of broken bones and adversity, you know? Yeah. I mean, I would imagine that, that your, your competitors marveled at what you did. Have you heard anything from them? Have they reached out your competitors? Oh yeah. They're all very supportive and they, they all, they, they know, they all knew. You know, I didn't, like I said, I didn't have to say anything. They told me. And uh, I think they were, first of all, they were happy that I wasn't going to be competing anymore. But secondly, they were proud of me for still going out there and giving it my all. And uh, every one of them was like, man, you'd have had it if you weren't messed up. I was like, yeah, I know. You know. Did um, putting all that together and going that hard, going through the pain, did that minimize the pain of being just off the podium then? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd say, so. I don't, I don't know, man. I, I did my best and my best with a broken arm is fourth place. I'll, I'll take fourth in the world with a broken arm, you know, the uh, take, take the broken arm away and I'd've been on the podium for sure. No doubts about it. Yeah. This you know? is, this is the, you know, the proverbial with one arm tied behind your back kind of thing. And this yeah, is... literally. Yeah. <laughs> Way to put that. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so, so you ended up leaving right after that race then. 
Um, yeah, it was a few days. It was a few days. I took the next flight that I could get out of there. Um, there are a few athletes that went down. Uh, Connor Hogan, Lori Stevens, myself, we all took the early flight out. Uh, I was debating staying for um, the closing ceremonies, but um, they're really, it's, it's really not the best situation for an individual hurt like I was to be around, you know, teammates and things of that nature, especially when I have an injury like I had, you know, um, I don't think it's mentally um, settling. It's a constant reminder of the dangers of the sport. Um, of your mortality and, they could see their mortality in you not a great yeah thing. exactly and uh, i try to avoid i tried to avoid that the best i could you know i tried to be cheery tried to still go to like team meetings i tried to be around that way they didn't have to come see me i didn't want to i didn't want them to to see the weakness of the injury of what could happen or to focus on what they should be doing while they were there so i think it, as a good teammate it was the best choice for me to depart so, but you had to get surgery though, right? I mean, I saw, I saw hardware in your shoulder. Uh, I've had surgery on that shoulder before. Yeah. I had a, oh, so it's old, it's old hardware in that, that it's shoulder. Old hardware. Yeah. It's old hardware in that shoulder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, right now it just looks like surgery on my thumb. Hopefully if, my greater tuberosity heals back together like it's supposed to. Um, technically, I'm supposed to have a brace on it right now, but when I'm sitting around home, I don't really wear uh, a brace on it super often. Um, I just make sure not to move it too much. So what was, what was that process, though? You hung out for a little bit. You were in the village. You went to some team meetings. You got on the first flight out. And did you go directly to the doctor and who, which doctor did you see? Um, so they had a mobile x-ray unit uh, uh, in China. Um, and so the local doctors there, Doc Finoff, who uh, met me at the base of the gondola, uh, we got out and he took me straight to go get x-rays and he made sure I was taken care of. And um, he explained to me uh, like, the issues that I had with my hand and uh, my shoulder. And he explained that if I'm careful, it'll get better. But then uh, I made the choice to go home. And home meaning Mexico, I'm here in Mexico. <laughs> Going home to Alaska where there's a bunch of snow on the ground and it's super cold, probably isn't the best place to recover. Also my house has stairs. Um, so it wasn't really the best place and uh, my wife's Mexican so uh, I came to see my wife in Mexico it worked out pretty good so so you saw the doctor in China but you've not seen a doctor in the U.S. no not yet I have not seen a doctor in the U.S. Um, but I did get more x-rays here in China and then I sent them to um, the doctors um, that were at the games okay uh, I got two professional opinions on it uh, they both said the same. Uh, they said everything seems to be healing together the way it's supposed to. So that's good. Okay. But yeah, you don't My necessarily, next... you're not necessarily in the guidance of a, of a doctor right now. Uh, well, so um, I go to the Stedman Clinic when I get back to the United States, which 
Um, so like the first few weeks is when everything starts healing back together. And then whether it heals back together properly or not determines whether I need surgery. Right. So when I get back to the United States the first week of April, that that's when I'll know whether it healed back together properly and whether I need surgery or not. So the first few weeks here didn't really matter whether I was under the guidance of a doctor. And I am still under the guidance of a doctor. The head doctor of the USOPC uh, is the one reviewing my x-rays and making sh- and emailing me and making sure that I'm doing okay. what I'm supposed to. But um, I, I will go see a professional in the orthopedic field when I get back to the United States. When you get back to the States in the beginning of, beginning of April and then, mm-hmm. and then that's where you'll start a plan of whether you have surgery, whether you don't have surgery, what your rehab looks like to get healthy, to be able to ski potentially this summer, right? Would be the intention. That's very doubtful. I would imagine. Uh, the doctor said it's a minimum 12 week recovery for just because uh, the two injuries that I have and the way that I injured them. Uh, like I said, the injury of the greater tuberosity, a lot of muscles connect to that bone in that area. So those muscles are constantly moving that bone where it attaches to the humerus. Um, so for it to heal back together takes a lot longer. Um, and my thumb, the, let's just say that they're trying their best to be optimistic. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and you don't really, you don't really know everything at the moment. So not knowing everything, you're in the position of saying, I can't worry about what I don't know. Is this, is this where you are right now? Yeah, man. You just took the long winded thing I said and put it into like three words. That's very correct. Um, yeah. Uh, I can't worry about what I don't know. Uh, I guess it's four words or five, but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I'll figure out whether I am getting surgery on my thumb and my shoulder when I get back to the United States, they will both be healed enough by that point to know whether they're going to heal themselves back into place or not. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I can't, that's all I, that's all I can give you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no. That's, I mean, it's, it's, it's much yeah. more than we had before. So yeah, so it's really uh, interesting in that respect. You're intending to to continue through Cortina I'm, though I mean I'm we were talking about that years. beforehand I'm, I'm going four more years man I'm not you don't I'm going four more years you can't I can't go out like that uh I can't like I worked too hard yeah you know and uh I have goals in my personal life that this portion of my life determines so greatly and unfortunately that wasn't able to happen like I want a bed and breakfast I was going to build an airplane hanger like this was the money from the games and the sponsorship and it was going to help me build an airplane hanger and it was going to help me uh you know get the the next portion of my bed and breakfast started on and I don't get to do that now okay back up though tell us why the airplane hanger would be important because of where you live I live on I live on an airstrip in Alaska yeah um 
out so, in the middle of nowhere effectively right i mean i know i'm not i'm my bed and breakfast isn't really the middle of nowhere it is rural and it is quaint um but i wouldn't say it's the middle of nowhere um but alaska is pretty alaska like it's easy to get to the middle of nowhere i live probably about i would say i live 10 minutes from the middle of nowhere 10 minutes from the middle of nowhere yeah yeah and so okay. people can come in in their in their prop planes and land yeah people can land with their pop planes on my airstrip they can see a glacier 10 minutes flight from my house uh there's a ski resort uh going in not far from my bed and breakfast like i've got a really great location you can go uh fly in skiing from where i'm at like it's a it's a really great location and so to set up my future and to get like the next portion of my bed and breakfast and the next portion of my future set up I needed to accomplish that, you know, I needed to get the airplane hangar and the airplane hangar was going to have two small apartments in it to expand on my bed and breakfast. And I do outdoor adventures for people with disabilities, you know, like you can come up and go fishing with me. You can come up and go ice climbing or rock climbing. And I, I can take you to go do cool Alaskan adventures. And that was going to expand on that portion of it. You know, I wanted to do outdoor adventuring for, you know, uh, like, uh, large companies to come out and do like retreats and uh, for people with disabilities or groups of indivis individuals with disabilities to come up and experience the wilds and the outdoors of Alaska in the most fun ways possible. That was what I was going for. Um, and unfortunately, uh, that has to be put off for another four years um, because I wasn't able to get the money to do that. Why is, why is Alaska so... I mean, granted, you grew up in Alaska, and it's, it's part of your heart, right? But why do you feel such a such a burning need to uh, to share Alaska? Why do people need to see it? Because before I broke my back, before I became paralyzed, it was what I fell in love with. You know, I fell in love with fishing, and I fell in love with the outdoors of Alaska. And it took a lot of work for me to find ways that I could still experience the outdoors find ways that I could still get outside and go fishing or go kayaking and go do all these fun outdoor things like actually in the outdoors without a whole lot of help you know so where uh, I could go out and I could be independent with wilderness um, and I want to introduce people with disabilities to that I want them to I want to introduce them to their independence to show them how I do it to show them that they can go out and they can do these things as well that's really what it's about because I, as you know, Chris, like you don't know you can do it until you get it done, you know? Like that's the, once you become disabled, everything's a big question mark. And then everyone expects you to need help and everyone comes to help you. Right. And the thing is, I mean, where you are in Alaska, this is, this is the real outdoors too, right? This is not, this is not a curb cut to, to a dock somewhere. This is this is just un untouched in a lot of ways outdoors, the wilderness. And so being yeah. able to make it out there, I mean, it, yeah, the, the, the process that people have to go through in order to in order to experience this and experience just what they can do is is, is tremendous. So this for you is is, is the future. I mean, skiing is the immediate future. And then this is yeah. the this is the next part of the future. What um, you know, looking at it, what 
what for you what's what's the big what's the big thing that you share there the big thing that i share in alaska is probably my fishing is the fishing right yeah i think that's my favorite thing to share i share a lot of different stuff but um i think that the big to break it down it's freedom i get to show people with disabilities like what freedom is uh at the most natural wild level it doesn't get more wild than alaska it doesn't get more untamed it doesn't get more fun it doesn't get more real it's a real adventure you know like people that was one thing that i loved you know after i became disabled it was i loved getting back outside you know going out and doing those things on my own experiencing the outdoors experiencing freedom you know because we don't get a whole lot of that like we're we're confined by the methods and the notions of what's given to us and in the wilderness you're only confined by what you're willing to work to do well that sounds like a big part of it is that it's the freedom but on the other side is the fight to achieve that freedom. Yeah, yeah, it is. The fight's the, fight's the fun part. When, when you show people that they can fight to achieve that, then, then they go beyond their limits to go do all kinds of crazy things, man. You do it all the time. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, like, and so many people with disabilities, they, they don't know that that's possible for them. You know, they just, they just don't know. There's so many situations where I have people with disabilities, they come up and they're like, oh man, I don't know if I can get into the boat. And I'm like, dude, just do it, you know? And I will literally, I'll show them how step-by-step. Step. Like there was one guy, it, it was an hour and a half worth of us sitting at the dock and him getting into the boat before we ever even got to go fishing. And his dad afterwards was so thankful because that was the biggest step towards him doing things on his own. Now that guy, what is it? Three years later, he runs his own like hunting foundation for people with disabilities down out of Texas and Southern California. And it was because he came up with me, you know? And he like, he realized it was possible. Like that's a huge step towards the freedom of an individual, huge. Huge. Now, the thing is, people wonder, where does this fight come from? Is this fight coming from you? I remember in the in the primetime interview that you did with NBC, you said that when you when you were first in a wheelchair, that your mother said, yeah, you can use that wheelchair, but I'm putting it outside. You're going to have to walk to go get it. Did it come so, from you? Did it come from your mom? Did it come from being an Alaskan? Where does this fight come from for you? Well, it came from a mixture of everything. It came from a mixture of my passion for the outdoors. And then it also came from the grit that my mom instilled in me, for sure. And what happened, that situation, what happened, I'm going to clarify on this. Uh, I had just gotten my leg braces and I wasn't very good at walking in them yet. I could maybe get like 10 feet. I couldn't get up a step and I couldn't do anything. Uh, and I was in my bedroom and I was really tired from using my leg braces and I was like okay cool I'm gonna use my wheelchair and my mom took my wheelchair took it outside rolled it down the stairs and said you can when you get to it and I said okay so yeah she's a big reason that I am the way I am 
<laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. It's a it's a different story that way. It's still it still is a story that's that's putting a big big hand in your back of like, okay, here you go, kid. Uh, I figured it out. I found my way out there and I made it down there. My uncle Harley, uh, he was a big portion of it too. Why was that? What 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 did he contribute? He uh, pushed me to be better in all those ways. He was when my when my mother wasn't there instilling grit and toughness into me. It was definitely my uncle Harley. He definitely did a lot. Um, they were they were just very tough people that wouldn't let me say no. And did they grow up in Alaska as well? Yeah, yeah they're all Alaskans. <laughs> all Alaskans. <laughs> Full, full through and through. You know, man, there's a there's a story that defines Alaskans. I'll tell it real quick. And it's super simple, super short. Uh, there was a man uh, in his bush plane. It was the beginning of summertime. And he had crashed his plane flying out near Denali. And uh, everyone had thought he was dead. But eight months later, in the dead of winter, he was able to, with snow and ice, pack his plane back together and fly it. He cut down all of the trees to make his own runway, and he flew his plane back to the Anchorage airstrip. Eight months later, he survived uh, out in the wilderness on animals and grit. Is that the kind of thing that captivates the people around i mean that's that's like legend right that you that this yeah. guy crashes he builds his own land strip he lives off the land and, and and is that something that captivates people that says this is this is part of who we are we might not have done exactly what he did but it's sort but, of aspirational in some ways to live yeah. up to that yeah every single one of us are willing to do that when you choose to live in alaska and like i'm not talking like the city in alaska it's when you choose to live in the true true areas of Alaska is when you truly decide to live by those notions. There's two types of people. There's the type of people that want to go to the grocery store to get their food. And there's the type of people that want to get their own food in nature. And when it comes to eating, it's a way of life and it's a choice. And the Alaskan lifestyle is definitely subsistence. You get your own food and you figure it out on, on your own. Um, like people in Alaska, the funny thing is, is we hate when you come into our yards, stay off of our property, you look ugly. But, oh, you popped a tire? I have a spare. Let me help you right now. I have everything it takes. Come over for dinner. You know, like we don't want to be messed with. That's why we live in Alaska. But at the same time, um, we're willing to stick our necks out to help each other. That's the, that's the way the Alaskan lifestyle is because we couldn't survive without each other, but yet we want to do it on our own as much as we can. That's just the way people are. And it's hard to explain unless you experience it. You should come up. Exactly. Yes. I've only been yeah. to Juneau, which, which qualifies as a city. So it does. Yeah, it does qualify as a city <laughs> or, or the capital, either or, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, it's little, it's a little, it's a little city, though, <laughs> a little city. Exactly. How did how did sport like how did where you ended up in sport 
like, cause you were a wrestler first, right? And then you went into skiing. How does this mentality bring you into those particular sports? And what are you, what are you trying to get out of that sport? What is it? What does it give to you? What do you want to get out of it? So originally it was a dream of mine to be the best in the world. And that's what I was pursuing. And that's what I really, really wanted. Now it's become a way of life for my future and my, my other dreams that I have, you know, the bed and breakfast, my family, like it's, it, it all intertwines and it's all based off of skiing. And, um, for me, that's what it is. Uh, it's the way I've chosen to live my dreams, the way I've chosen to pursue them. And it was my wrestling coach originally that, you know, inspired me for it. And, uh, being a wrestler, you have to be pretty gritty to begin with. You got to be tough. There's you nowhere know. to hide, right? It's one man against another man, you know, or a kid or whatever yeah. it was when you were when you were wrestling. So yeah. there's nowhere to hide. Either either you win or you don't win, and and it's a struggle for you whether you're the winner or whether you're you're the loser, no matter 100%. what. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And uh, when I took that, it was a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time, and I became a really good wrestler because of that when I brought that into ski racing was the reason I got a lot of injuries. Uh, and I started realizing that ski racing, sometimes you got to give 70%, you know, just to kind of stay in control. Um, the mountain's a little bit bigger than anybody you were going to wrestle. Ooh, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and they're a lot tougher. They're a lot harder too. <laughs> uh, I can't get in a fist fight with a mountain and win anytime ever. <laughs> it's going to be there well after you're gone. That's the yeah. way it works, right? Yeah. You know, man, it's just sad the way Beijing turned out because the, both injuries had nothing to do with me and the way I was skiing. I did everything right. I just got unfortunate. Mother Nature decided that it was my time. And Mother Bindings, I guess, because my bindings broke, which is what caused the concussion. And then, uh, the wind got me, pulled me right to the fence. And even if I, even if I went down, like even if I chose to fall over, I still would have gone right into the fence. Right. There's nothing I could do. The wind was just literally blowing me into the fence. Well, which is, which is a lesson as well. I mean, you're talking about living out in the wild of Alaska and that you are doing that you want to do everything to be independent there. But yet you're so you're so generous and gracious to anybody who needs who needs a hand, and not just saying you, but that's the that's the ethos of everybody in in the area. And then sport is that same kind of thing where you're doing everything to be independent, but yet at the same time, the storm comes in and and you need that helping hand every now and then. You just to get back in, them. exactly, yeah. And no matter what, you give it your all. Whenever whenever people ask me in interviews, like, what would you say to the next generation? What would you say the most important thing is? Or like, what would you do? I always say, uh, grit, you know, be as tough as you can, as much as you can, because no matter what, it's going to be hard, but the tougher people are the ones that do the better. Right. Tougher people. And you learn something along the way, right? I mean, from yeah. this kind of a freak accident or two freak accidents in a row 
there has to be something that you're learning from that on a personal be, level. Yeah, you have to you be better, tough right? to learn. Though. You have to be tough to learn. You have to face those injuries, you know, because a lot of times it's really easy to give up after a broken arm or a broken bum or something like that. It is, but sure. you're, yeah, you're only willing to face it if you're tough and like physically and emotionally, you know? Injuries can push you in that way. Do you feel as strong mentally, emotionally? Is your heart as strong now as it ever was? Is it it's, stronger? It's stronger now after the injury. It's definitely stronger because I don't want to go out like that. It's definitely stronger. Oof. Yeah, it's oof. I want to cry. <laughs> uh, yeah uh yes yes <laughs> i guess is the answer lose. yes it's stronger i don't want to lose ever again I, I want to do well you know i don't want to go out like that i can't i can't go out like that um right. that's all that's all there is to it <laughs> i can't that's all there is to it and you know that it's not just a matter of getting back in the starting gate, that the fight for you now is to get back into the starting gate to then be in that position where you can never lose. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I just got to get back. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Oh. You articulated very well. Thank you. For, for, uh, me, for me, it's a, for me, it's an emotional, for me, it's an emotional tribulation because I'm trying, I'm still, fighting through it to achieve that that confidence to know that I can win again um right now it's emotions because I it's I want to it's emotions and it's spirit because I want to I'm gonna do everything I can logically to get there but currently physically I just can't and those are the three things that really like determine you know an athlete or an individual you know is a person's spirit, a person's emotions, and then a person's physicality. Those are going to determine what you can do and what you will do in life. And uh, right now, my physicality is so weak that uh, my spirit and my emotions need to hold it up. Hold me well, up. Right now, you're in what, what can be the hardest one, which is the patience part of it, that you have to heal. You have to, that's that, there's not, there's not necessarily the action right now and that that can be the hardest part because there isn't any action other yeah. than to be smart and let your body heal uh which which can be a much bigger challenge than any of the yeah. other stuff it certainly is it certainly is chris uh, well andrew thank you for talking us through this absolutely amazing story i mean we really appreciate what you went through, how you competed. I mean, it's a bummer not to see you perform at your best, but you know, this is this is setting up the drama for Cortina in 2026. We've got four years to build to this next one. Yes, yes, we do. Um, and I promise I will try my best there as well. I, I, I don't think I don't think there's any question that you will that you will try your best. We know that and we'll we'll look for you. So thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking the time out of your time out of your patience. Maybe we were a little bit of a distraction for you. Maybe we got you through an hour where you didn't have to think about some yeah, other right. stuff. <laughs> Made it go by a bit quicker. There you go. Well, thanks, it's on.
We'll look forward to seeing you soon. Really appreciate it. Uh, thank you to all of you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed our talk with Andrew. Again, the greatest gift you can give us is to tell your friends to tune in. Tune in, follow us, like us. We'll be in all the places where you find your podcasts in the future. So this will be published as a, as a podcast and you'll get a chance to see it. If you don't, if you didn't see it all, you can always go back to the One Revolution page on Facebook and you can see it archived there as well. So Andrew, thanks a ton, man. Get well thanks, soon. Chris.